Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, joined here today by Blake Alderman. Blake, we've been off for a little bit since we last talked on the podcast. It's kind of given us a chance to really kind of settle in now that the season is officially over. The 2020 campaign is in the books. Uh, Not quite the way that Florida wanted to end things, obviously. Kind of an embarrassing loss to Oklahoma. I want to dig into that, and then we'll kind of move into the direction of the program going forward under Dan Mullen. Blake, I guess first off, what are your thoughts on that bowl game? I know that a lot of fans came out of that game feeling pretty upset, I think, about the approach. And then after the game, you know, Dan Mullen's comments that the 2020 team had already played its last game 11 or 10 or 10 or 11 days earlier in the SEC championship game, I think kind of came across as a little bit insulting to Florida fans. Maybe that, you know, that Florida treated it somewhat like a practice. I guess what was your kind of takeaway from how that all unfolded? You know, whenever you started seeing a lot of those guys that were opting out of the game and you see that um, guys that made a, a massive percentage of just the production through the wide receiver group, you know, the Grimes, the Tonys, uh, even Kyle Pitts. I mean, I, I think that that took a little bit of the luster out of the game. But in the same sense, like fans that paid money to go stay and, you know, attend the game and, you know, do all the – I guess as much bowl game type things that you can do in in, in that year. Um, I could see them being a little upset because obviously that's money and you put in all that effort to go travel and see the game. And, you know, you see it to where, um, you know, between the opt outs and, um, you know, guys that couldn't play, it just didn't seem like Florida was really there to, uh, you know, it just didn't really seem like they paid a lot of mind in the game. You know, like, like Dan had said that, you know, their last, this last 2020 team played in the SEC championship game against Alabama. And, you know, sure, with the guys opting out, it just seemed like they go back for Christmas. They don't get a lot of practices under their belt anyways. I don't know if it was just the way the bowl season went with COVID going on and just kind of the quick turnaround from the end of the season to the bowl game, if that had anything to do with it. But, um, you know, even in the second half, Florida's throwing in a lot of their young guys that kind of treated it like a, maybe the orange and blue spring game type of thing. So um, I understand the frustrations for some of those fans, but um, at the same time, I think whenever you saw those guys starting to back out of the season, you kind of started to expect that this one could be kind of a lopsided loss. Yeah. And we talked about that on the podcast, you know, kind of previewing the game that, you know, neither of us expected Florida to win. We just didn't sure. think they had the the firepower with what was going to be missing. Having said that, you know, I, I made the comment, I think before the game that I, I didn't think this was a game that really was going to impact kind of the trajectory of the program long-term given, you know, all the, all the stuff you talked about, about the pandemic season, the guys opting out, And we kind of did make the case that Florida was probably going to do exactly what it did and play a lot of young guys. You know, we wanted to see Emory Jones. We wanted to see some of those younger receivers. Well, we did. And, and I think kind of going into that game, I had said, I think the only real thing this game might change or this result might change is it adds increased pressure maybe on Todd Grantham, but I didn't think that it would change necessarily the trajectory of the program. I I think Lake, I might've been a little bit wrong on that in terms of the perception. I think, I probably underestimated the 
level of response that fans would have to coming out and looking completely unprepared. And then I think, again, I think Dan Mullen didn't help himself at all with his comments after the game. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the right thing would have been to say there. Uh, but I think in a year, I think I just think in a year where he had a couple other missteps, you know, in terms of public speaking and, you know, you look at the pack, the swamp comments, that kind of thing. I, I think the, the public perception of where Florida is headed probably was altered a little bit more than I thought. I mean, am I wrong on that? You know, I don't, I don't think so. I think that a lot of people, when you look at just the, the opt-outs, I think that that first, at least some fans kind of took the perspective of the game that, you know, the offense was, it had a chance to not look as crisp as it had all year. I just, when you look at those guys in production, Florida struggled in the run game. The defense has been up and down, mostly down throughout that whole season. I think that whenever you take that firepower away, Florida was in a lot of these games or, you know, was able to pull away from a lot of these teams because they had that offensive firepower. They could get in those boat race type of games. Granted, they did. Like, Not, uh, hold on just a sec. We lost you there for a little bit. Uh, you were, you were talking about some of the firepower that Florida's lost. Let's, let's kind of pick up and reset. Uh, sorry guys. I got my internet there. connection from the dollar store. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, you know, I think whenever you look at the firepower for some of those offensive guys, the wide receivers, you have some of those guys opt out of the game. I think where fans started to maybe have a little bit of some dark clouds around their thoughts. There was just the fact that you, a lot of these guys that were out there at wide receiver, those are the guys next year for Florida. Emory Jones is the guy next year for Florida. I think it was encouraging seeing what he was able to do in the run game. I think that that's going to be more signs of what you see that Dan Mullen does traditionally has done too with quarterbacks where they get him involved in the run game. And I think that that can help Florida's run struggles this year. But I think that the part where you start to get a little, you know, unsure was just there were a lot of drops, man. Like there were a lot of drops from those wide receivers. Sure, Jacob Copeland was a guy that wasn't in the game and he'll be back for next season. But I think that when you look at just the last two years, you know, Florida 2018, or excuse me, 2019 season, then Florida 2020 season, those wide receiver groups were great. And they made the quarterbacks look better. They had a really strong passing game. I think fans started to really like seeing how they attacked the ball through the air. And I think you're going to see a step back there next year. Obviously, you have a guy like Kyle Trask who had that, you know, Heisman finalist type of season. It's expected, you know I mean? that That's just no, no discredit to Emory Jones. That's just Trask had a really great year. And I mean, that's just hard to match those type of numbers. But I think just the overall production – the run game still has struggled there, but I think Jones can help that. I, I think it just looked at – you see the, the offense score a lot of points and really have a lot of production all year, and you don't see that in the bowl game. So I think that that does bring some concerns. Yeah, and I think – I'm glad you mentioned that because that's kind of – when I was trying to figure out where the disconnect is between, okay, we said going into the game this was kind of going to be probably an ugly showing for Florida. And it was a bigger beatdown than I think we expected too. I, I mean, I, I think that's part of it. I think that had something to do with it too. I mean, I don't think a lot of fans think you see the opt-outs and all that, you know, sure, Florida can lose this game, but I don't think they just saw it to just be like, I mean, it was, a, if you're a fan that's watched loss. a lot of games, that's a tough game to watch as a fan. Sure. Yeah. But I think to your point, you know, the fact, I, th- I think that if, I think what we were kind of envisioning going into the game and, and a lot of fans was that the future would look equally bright. You know, we always, the backup quarterbacks always the most popular guy sure. on the team. You know what I mean? And, you know, I think we've talked a lot about some of these younger receivers, the Xavier Hendersons, the Wavian Frazier's, Trent Woodamore. I think there was a lot of excitement about those guys. And I think, you know, those jumps to, to becoming full-time starters don't happen overnight. And I think a lot of people kind of thought it was going to be plug and play in this bowl game. And I think what you saw is exactly why Dan Mullen wanted to get that work in, because you do, you know, that stuff doesn't happen overnight. You do need those quality snaps in live games. But I think seeing that, those guys are further away than I think a lot of fans probably envisioned at this moment. That was probably as much a 
part of the frustration as anything else. And then, you, you know, you add on the post-game comments and all that. Um, I, I think, Blake, let's, let's transition a little bit and move maybe off of Oklahoma a little bit and talk maybe more big-picture program right now because right now there's, there's a lot going on out there. You know, obviously there's, I believe, seven NFL head coaching openings right now. Dan Mullen, um, whether or not he is legitimately considering or will be legitimately considered by the NFL – it's pretty clear that his agent has been working behind the scenes to get his name connected to NFL jobs, Jimmy Sexton being his agent. I guess right now, um, you know, I, I don't know if we should get into, you know, kind of the fans' feelings on Dan Mullen, where they stand and all that. I have a strong feeling that Dan Mullen will be back in Gainesville next year. I just don't see an NFL opportunity presenting itself. And then I think the other part of kind of the, the Dan Mullen to the NFL talk He's in the third year of a six-year contract, just finished the third year of his six-year contract. So it wouldn't be at all out of the norm for his agent to be kind of stirring up some interest behind the scenes in the NFL in, in an attempt to uh, kind of put Scott Strickland's feet to the fire in terms of getting an extension, getting a potential raise. We've heard behind the scenes that Dan Mullen would like a raise. He thinks that he's done a really good job at Florida so far. It's, it's hard to disagree, you know, in the long run. I think when fans start to get a little bit concerned – is we've seen the defense take some significant steps back, Blake, and we've talked about Todd Grantham extensively on this program. At this point right now, Blake, it seems like Dan Mullen is very much in Todd Grantham's corner. We're not expecting a change to be made at defensive coordinator. I know that I've talked about it a lot in the past. I think that's a decision that ultimately is going to add more pressure on Dan Mullen himself. I guess what are your thoughts on – continuing along with Todd Grantham and, and what that means for Florida. Is that a move that can be successful? Does it give you pause? Are you concerned? Where are you kind of sit on that whole thing? You know, I think whenever you see the defense struggled throughout the year, you get to the end of the season, Florida fires both of their defensive back coach. Sure. The secondary, I mean, we've said it podcast after podcast, those guys struggled from start to finish the year. I feel like if you look at a tier of coaching hot seatness, we'll call it that. We'll, we'll, we'll dub that one. That's my trademark name on it. The first level you get is to the, you get to the assistant coaches. That's that first tier. I think Florida pulled that one out. The next one is defensive coordinator, and then eventually you get down to head coach or, or offensive coordinator, whatever your struggles are. I think Florida kind of took that first cut of the fat, taking that stab away from you know the defensive uh, assistant coaches back there in the secondary being gone. I think that if Grantham, sure, a lot of the COVID things, you know, you don't want to get guys hurt so you don't go full go so much in practice as you would maybe in a normal year the lack of reps in the spring early part of the fall all those things that went to a COVID year defensive guys you just can't get in the film room sure all those things are very possible but those are just mental rep no not excuse me not just mental reps those are physical reps you have to get in there and get in hitting and getting used to things all those things are sure are they excuses are they real things I, I don't know we'll see you know it's hard to tell it's been an uncharted year I think next year if they have a spring if you know things start to get kind of normal on a fall schedule if the defense Defensive struggles don't improve, and a lot of those things, I, I think for the most part, we thought were schematical things. You know, they were just game-planning things. Those were things that eventually do fall on Todd Grantham's shoulders. But Florida's cut out that first tier of the assistant coaches. You know, if you want to call those like the sacrificial lambs for the next guy in the, in, in the, you know, the ring of that uh, coaching uh, hierarchy – I think that the next one, I mean, is it a one-year thing? Is it a two-year thing? I think that if the defense doesn't improve, I think that seat gets even hotter for Todd Grantham. I think it makes it to where, you know, if things don't improve, I think that he could be the next guy on the chopping block. You know, obviously, I'm not saying Dan Mullen's on the hot seat, but I think that Grantham 
he's already got, I guess, that first realm out of the way. So now the, I think the pressure is even more so on him. And, and, and sure, it's on Mullen because eventually, he, you know, he's the guy that made the decision to keep him there. But I think more so the heat is on Todd Grantham for next year, man. They got to get some improvements there. It could be him next. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is going to be the defense could very well improve next year and Florida's record may not. You look at the schedule, it's going to be very difficult. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting decision from um, kind of a momentum standpoint to retain Todd Grantham here and basically forge forward knowing that, you know, if you have a lackluster year four, all of a sudden you've got a lot of pressure on you if you're Dan Mullen. I mean, that you know, I think he's done a terrific job here so far. I think the way that things kind of got away from them late in 2020 is really unfortunate because it does kind of change the narrative a little bit. I mean, the trajectory very much, if, if you're able to avoid that LSU loss and then all of a sudden you play Alabama competitively, we're talking about this in a completely different way. I mean, I mean, Florida, some of the guys in the college football council, I mean, they were saying that even if Florida had beaten LSU and still lost a close game to Bama, they were still in the conversation of being in that, that final four, you know, those, those final four playoff games. Right. And so that, that very much changed things. And I think, you know, now, now in hindsight, you're looking back and you're looking at, you know, I know that a lot of national reporters have pointed to the, the kind of off color comments after the Texas A&M game, uh, maybe a little bit of excuse making going on there. You kind of saw the same thing. Uh, oddly, you know, after LSU, Dan Mullen immediately pivoted to, oh, well, you know, whatever, as long as you know we beat Alabama, we're good, that kind of thing. Um, it, it just was a very deflating end to the season. And that's not how you want to end year three. You know, you really want to be on a positive trajectory. And particularly when you look at all of the pieces that Florida is losing on offense and, and even some on defense, I mean, the defense doesn't just have to get better in 2021. They're going to have to be really good for Florida to survive in 2021 sure. and, and have a chance to potentially compete for the SEC East because guess what? Georgia's got some answers, man. They've got a quarterback. They've always had the talent. And I think we saw in that bowl game against Oklahoma, uh, you know, Dan Mullen and his staff likes to hang their hat on development. Well, they're going to have to develop their tails off in the next little bit here because those guys, you're, you're not just replacing a Kyle Trask. You're not just replacing a Kyle Pitts. Uh, you, you don't replace a Kadarius Tony. You know, you've got to really kind of groom guys to go forward. And I'm not sure that Florida has those guys right now. You know, there's, there's some good options, and we'll talk about them in the second half of the show. But the bottom line is I do think the trajectory, at least from a perception standpoint, changed quite a bit. And I don't think, I don't think the bowl game was the sole reason for that. I point more towards the LSU game slipping away and, and kind of changing the entire outlook of 2020. Definitely. But the bowl Unexpected game losses help. do that for sure. Yeah, and the bowl game didn't help. And I think, um, Blake, let's talk real quickly, I guess, about the staff changes. I know you talked about Dan Mullen getting rid of two defensive backs coaches. For, for anybody that's not familiar yet, uh, safeties coach Ron English and cornerbacks coach Torian Gray uh, were both let go, and Florida is looking to hire new coaches. Blake, Florida's already hired one coach in Wesley McGriff. He's most, most recently at Auburn but has about a decade of experience in the SEC, also spent some time with the New Orleans Saints from 2013 to 2015 um, you're a little bit more plugged in when it comes to assistance and kind of talking to, you know, our guys around the network that have, you know, had some contacts with these assistant coaches. Uh, can you, can you tell us what you expect out of this Wesley McGriff hire and kind of where it fits for Florida? You know, I, I, I'm not sure where he's at in the defensive backfield. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, that's assuming that's where we think he is. I don't know if it's at safety or if it's a cornerbacks coach, but um, just from talking to guys around the network, um, as far as a coach, he's kind of a no nonsense, no no nonsense guy. Sorry, that was way harder than it should have been. No nonsense guy. Really, 
really intricate on the little things. You know, I think that that's pretty much a lot of coaches out there in the industry. Um, you know, they really have to pay attention to those things. But I think whenever you look at a secondary coach, the little things matter, you know, how you move, how you look, how you do this, that, and the other. Um, there are different things. So I think that where Florida seemed to be out of place, some guys uh, this past season, they always seem to be, you know, in the wrong spot, taking the wrong angle. I think that that type of approach, um, you know, making sure guys do those little things right. I think that that can clean up some of the things in the secondary. Um, sure. It seems like Florida wants to have a, another guy back there. I think that's, you know, we can get in the next hire, you know, as we go on through the show here, but um, as far as on the recruiting trail, I think that, uh, you know, McGriff is a guy that's going to be, um, I mean, just when you look at the fact that he's been in the SEC as much as he has, I mean, some of his elite guys that he's added, you know, Robert Kimdiche, who was the number one player in that 2013 class when he was at Ole Miss. There were a lot of guys, if you look at his, his, his coaching page and some of those guys he signed, a lot of those higher up, you know, more of elite guys or earlier in his career, you know, he had a stop at Miami. There were some guys down there. Either way, you have a guy that's got ties to South Georgia. You've got a guy that's got ties to South Florida. Both of those areas are ones that Florida wants to get in the door in. You know, obviously South Florida always churns out the best talent. South Georgia has a lot of talent too. And that's the spot where Florida has tried to get their foot in the door with some of those guys. You know, they've recruited some of the, you know, a little bit more heavily of those South Georgia guys here lately. You know, John Hevesy is another guy who has ties to South Georgia as well. So you always have to plug in those ties. And I think that whenever you have a guy like McGriff who has, you know, he's from Tifton, Georgia, I think it is, or somewhere around there in that area. So, I mean, you've got a guy that's from there that can help you get in that door even more. Um, just kind of trying to get their fingerprint on the recruiting trail. I think, you know, where I mentioned that some of those guys, maybe more of the elite guys were there earlier in his career. Um, I mean, when you look at the guy, he was at Ole Miss, wherever they had the fallout for Hugh Freeze. You know, it felt like every other year, Gus Malzahn was on the hot seat when he was at Auburn. So I could see there being some lulls here lately, but I mean, he was able to sign some decent players. You got a guy like Chris Thomas, who he uh, snagged out of Texas. And that was a pretty shocking get for Auburn at the time because he was pretty much heavily, you know, seen as a, as a Texas Longhorns lean. So he still had some battles, maybe not, you know, the five-star elite types, but he still landed some good players. I'm interested to see how that Florida brand where you've got that history of defensive backs, um, you're much closer in the state of Florida where he's got those ties to South Florida. I'm interested to see if that logo kind of carries any more weight with him lately and see how that goes with recruiting recruiters recruit you know I mean always you have to sell your your brand you always have to do those things those things are things that you learn through experience he certainly got that I'll hold my judgment on you know how he is as a recruiter as we see a little bit more sample size because I don't know that it's fair to compare what you've done at different schools or done there and wherever so I mean we'll see where it is but I mean for the most part you got a guy that's got a veteran a guy that's got a lot of experience not only coaching in the NFL some as, as a small stint but also in the SEC so I'm interested to see how he uh, how he meshes with the other guys yeah, that's my thought. I think generally speaking, it's probably a solid hire. I don't know that right now you'd say it's a slam dunk upgrade. Like, you know, maybe we thought about Tim Brewster a year ago. And I think so far we're seeing that kind of pan out. But uh, yeah, Blake, I guess the, the real question is what Florida does with that other hire? Because, um, you know, from what we've heard and, and talking to people behind the scenes, Dan Mullen would very much like to get a very well-respected defensive coaching mind in on the staff. And, and we've reported on um, at least one potential candidate for the job, and that's Texas defensive coordinator Chris Ash. And Texas obviously has changed its coach. Steve Sarkeesian is in. I believe Ash is supposed to meet with Sarkeesian today uh, to interview for a potential job, but that's not necessarily the defensive coordinator job at Texas. And so we know that uh, you know Dan Mullen and, and Chris Ash and, and or their agents or however that works have had have had contact at this point, and you know Florida is potentially offering a co-coordinator role to Chris Ash or, or any other guy that they may, you know, move to if, if Ash doesn't pan out. Um, but there's a couple things here. I think, you know, we've heard from 
people close to Chris Ash that he has interest in NFL as well. And there may be some NFL defensive coordinator opportunities that come his way. He's obviously a guy that's very familiar with Urban Meyer. He was on his national championship staff at Ohio State. And obviously Urban Meyer is one of the favorites for the Jacksonville Jaguars job at last check. And so uh, he's got a couple potential options. And I think the reason we haven't seen a hire yet is, uh, you know, kind of for that reason, there's a couple dominoes that probably still need to fall before guys know exactly where they're going to go. But we'll have more on that on Swamp 24-7. We've been keeping people pretty up to date uh, with the latest on the coaching search. So be sure to check it out on Swamp 24-7. We're going to take a quick break, guys. And then when we come back, we're going to dig more into the 2021 team. I know we talked a lot about kind of the direction of the program from a big picture standpoint. I want to sit down with Blake and break down kind of who's coming back, who's gone, what it looks like, and then talk about some of the early enrollees that Florida has just gotten onto campus for the spring semester. So we'll be right back after this quick break. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We spent the first half of the show talking about kind of the bowl game, the direction of the program, potential staff hires. But really, ultimately, Blake, it boils down to players. And I think, you know, in talking about the first half of the show and that bowl game against Oklahoma, the concern is we, we haven't really seen a whole lot of Dan Mullins recruited players step up just yet. You know, the, the, the big stars, obviously, in 2020 were mostly Jim McElwain recruits. So the question is going to be, how has Dan Mullins recruiting kind of panned out? This is the, the year next year where you start to find out how are they developing guys? Uh, I guess, first off, I'm going to go ahead and run through a list of guys that are definitively gone because we are kind of in a weird off season where even seniors could potentially come back. And some people have made announcements, some haven't. So officially gone off to the NFL draft or, or otherwise quarterback Kyle Trask is gone. Darius Tony is gone. Trayvon Grimes is gone. Kyle Pitts is gone. 
Brett Heggie and Stone Forsythe are both gone, have both signed with agents. Kyrie Campbell on the defensive line is also out. Evan McPherson, the kicker, uh, declared early for the NFL draft. And safety Sean Davis is expected to be gone as well. Three guys that are definitively back that should help Florida are defensive end Zachary Carter, and we'll talk about that. I think that was an absolutely huge announcement for Florida. Definitely, I thought, had the ability to go pro, uh, but him coming back will really help anchor a defensive line that's going to have some question marks, particularly on the interior. Uh, Jeremiah Moon will also be back for a sixth year after suffering that foot injury against Georgia and missing the rest of the year. And then safety Trey Dean has also announced that he'll be back. So, Blake, there's a number of guys that we're still kind of waiting on decisions for. Looking, looking down the list, you know, uh, to Daryl Slayton, we think is probably leaning gone. You know, had a social media post that, that certainly looked like uh, he was done at Florida, but we're not entirely 100% sure on that. Uh, Marlon Dunlap's another guy that could add some, some depth along that defensive line. And then I think the two safeties, Donovan Steiner and Brad Stewart, I don't know that we're expecting either of those guys back, but we haven't heard anything definitive one way or another. I guess when you look at the roster, big picture-wise, going into 2020, what are areas that you feel very comfortable with right now? Uh, You know, I feel pretty comfortable with the running back room. I think whenever you look at the talent and then you talk about um, and we'll get into him later. But you add a guy like a five-star and Demarcus Bowman to the room. Sure, it's a little crowded, but I think that you have enough talent in there. Um, if you can, uh, you know, I, I'm under the impression that I think running Emory Jones and doing different things with him is going to help continue to move along the running game. So I think you can see an uptick there. Sure, a lot of those things matter on, um, you know, the running back room, sure. Um, the offensive line getting their push. I mean, there are different factors to where you can talk about a running game. But, I, you know, I, I'm pretty pretty excited about that group. I really like what Naquan Wright did last year. Um, I think that, you know, he's probably one of the hardest runners I've seen. You know, sure, Damian Pierce is another one of those guys that runs really hard too. But I think when you look at what Wright brings – um, that speed twitchiness in space, you know, he's one guy that I, I thought was really impressed with in, in the passing game. You know, some of those wheel routes that Florida used on Georgia and different other ways to use them. I, I was impressed with Wright. Um, Damian Pierce, I think, is more of your goal line type of guy. I think Malik Davis is an interesting one because, I, I mean, I, I, sure, I'm speculating here. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate. But he has that Kadarius Tony, maybe not that same twitchy guy because that's hard to match. I mean, yeah. Kadarius Tony was great there. But I think he has certain skill sets to where you could use him in that Tony type of role where I thought that he was really great, you know, catching some passes. I think maybe throwing him at slot receiver. Is, it's, it's an interesting thought to me with just how crowded the room is. So I guess when you start talking about being able to move guys around, you know, you obviously have a good problem with a you know, crowded room. And I think that that's one where I'm pretty comfortable with. I think offensive line, I think they have some pieces. I think, you know, a guy like Josh Braun was impressive. I don't know that I feel great about that room, um, but, you know, I, I feel a little bit better than maybe I did heading into the start of last season. Yeah, no, I, I think that running back is definitely one you circle. I'll actually go a, a little bit of a different direction. I, I think that Florida will be pretty good at linebacker, and one of the guys we didn't talk about uh, in that list of gone or are they back is Ventrell Miller, uh, who we haven't heard from yet, but I, I don't know that he has the size necessarily to really draw NFL draft eyes. And, you know, the, obviously he doesn't have elite physical skills. So I, I would think he'll be back. If he's back, I really like the look of that linebacker room. I think he showed to be a pretty above average all, uh, SEC player. You know, maybe not all SEC caliber, but right below that cusp. And I think when you pair him with some of the, the guys that I thought were really coming on late in the year with Amari Bernie and, and particularly Mahmoud Diabate, I think that group has – potential to take a real step forward next year now even a guy like tyron harper who flashed you know Hopper, I mean, that's, that's, wingo i mean you you've got some pieces in that room you know sure. um, some of the the signees that they brought in could potentially contribute 
I, I like that room. My big question mark, Blake, is going to be getting into the defense or, or the deficiencies for this defense. And I think, you know, TJ Slayton is probably the biggest decision for Florida at sure. this point. And, and maybe he's already made that decision again. I, I would say I would be surprised if he came back at this point. I think that he showed enough uh, this year to, to certainly be drafted in the NFL draft. But if he's back, suddenly I think the defense looks like it can be a unit that can really, really take a step forward. You know, you're going to be a little bit young in the secondary, particularly at safety. But having Trey Dean back, I thought, I thought he made some plays late in the year. And um, I guess the, the big question mark for me is that interior defensive line. You know, you're, you're losing a guy like Kyrie Campbell, and we saw what that did to the defense this year. Um, got to start developing. You know, we, we talked about the class gaps because of recruiting. You've got all freshmen you know, and I guess technically they'll still be freshmen next year, but it's all young guys that are going to have to step in and fill the void next year. You know, if you get Marlon Dunlap back, that's great. He's a, he's a quality depth piece, but I don't think he's your SEC starter caliber kind of player. So, you know, you're, you're unfortunately looking maybe at a situation if you can't get some significant uh, help in the transfer portal. And, and I guess one guy we should mention is Antonio Shelton. A, uh, you know, that was big for Florida to get him with just everything you're talking about with him being young. Yeah. A guy like that who's using his six year of eligibility has that leadership coming in from Penn helped, State. Yeah, I mean, he has the size. I think that that's something that Florida really was going to lack too. A guy that's you know a solid two twenty five, two thirty type guy that can sit there and just eat up those gaps. I think that that was a big get for Pretty Florida. Just considering, that. yeah, whatever. I mean, big big guy either way. Yeah, yeah, no, that and that was a huge. And you know, I kind of forgot about him a little bit, uh, but I think Florida could use another guy like that. I think you, you're going to need another veteran guy so that you're not having to play Zach Carter in there for 50% of his snaps. Sure. Because I thought we thought clearly the defense got better. Todd Grantham said it repeatedly, you know, they still weren't very good overall. And I think a lot of that had to do with the secondary, which obviously they're trying to fix via coaching hires, but the defensive front, I thought played a lot better when Zach Carter was able to play outside. And I think the danger you run in being kind of shallow on that interior defensive line, if you have an injury or two, all of a sudden you're having to shift Zach Carter back inside the defense really gets kind of out of sorts again. So that, that would be my big concern, I think, defensively in terms of deficiencies. Offensively, I, I look at the receivers. I think they'll be fine. I, I really don't put a whole lot onto that bowl game with the drops. I think some of that is, you know, working with Emory Jones, you know, different – the ball comes out a little bit differently than maybe Kyle Trask. And, and I, I mean that for the guys that played with Kyle Pitts a little bit more, you know, the Kamori Gambles, the Keon Zippers. Those are guys that, for the most part, were working a lot with Kyle Trask in practice, maybe more so than Emory Jones. And uh, I, I look at it, you got Jacob Copeland, Justin Shorter. I mean, you, you've got some options there. You know, you don't have the proven depth. I don't feel probably as good about that receiver unit going into 2021 as I did going into 2020 with this group. But I had question marks about this year's group too. And then Kadarius Tony came out and put together a lights out season. You know, you got contributions from Copeland from Shorter. Uh, Kyle Pitts obviously was, was just a monster. Um, but, I, you know, I, I just look at it. I think for me overall right now, my sense of this roster going into 2021 is more so that I don't see any true difference makers yet. Right. And I think that showed up in the bowl game. Um, you're, you're losing guys that are absolutely capable of going out there and winning you games by themselves. When you talk about Kyle Trask, Darius Tony and Kyle Pitts, maybe Florida will have those guys emerge next year. They might. I look across the board at the, at the roster right now, and, and I see potential, but I don't see a lot of guys where I'm like, oh, man, this, this, this position group is just overloaded with talent. And so I think it really is going to come down to how well have Dan Mullen and his staff developed some of these guys that maybe on paper as recruits weren't necessarily, you know, superstars, but can they be 
quality SEC players? Can they potentially be all SEC types? And can you get enough of those guys at enough positions so that you're not taking a significant step back in 2020? That's kind of the question mark for me. Yeah, and I think that's a fair question to have. I think, you know, just you look at how good Florida was with those veteran guys and you bring them in. Um, you know, sure, there's some of those McIlwain guys still on the roster, but like you said earlier, I mean, you're getting to that bulk of the guys that Mullen recruited. Those are the guys that you want to develop. Those are the guys that you want to – Those are the, that's your future, and you want to see those guys continue to – I mean, next year is going to be that year whenever you find out who's going to take that step. And, you know, sure, you can look on there and you don't see, you know, like you said, maybe that loaded room or whatever, but those are – those are what's going to be made in the spring. You know, I think that those are the guys that are going to start to emerge and they're going to have to carry that over to the fall. And I think that that's what's going to be so big about if there is a spring football season this year. Like I said, I don't want to hear that negativity. I'm telling myself in my head that there is going to be a spring football. But I think that those are going to be really important for, you know, not only Florida all teams, but I mean necessarily even more so for Florida with just how young they are in some of those rooms. Well, let's talk about some of that youth. Florida obviously welcomed a number of early enrollees to campus this fall – or sorry, this spring – Blake, why don't you run us through some of those? I don't know if you have to hit on every guy, but maybe a couple guys that people should be looking at as potential impact players going forward. Sure, we mentioned Shelton already, and I think whenever you have a guy that's just as big as he is like that with that 330 body, um, just being able to kind of wreck things there um, with some of those younger guys, I think he's big. Another big guy, too, that Florida was able to get in for the spring semester is that five-star transfer into Marcus Bowman. I, I mentioned him a little bit earlier. But just adding a five-star guy, continue to add another five-star guy. He was Florida's top running back target in that 2020 class. Um, I mean, he was, I think, the number two rated running back, either on the composite or on 24-7 sports. Either way, he was an elite guy. So Florida's adding another guy in there. I think a lot of fans made that, you know, exhale of, you know, kind of taking that weight off their shoulders once that, you know, buzz came out that he had made it to campus. I think when you look at the secondary and how Florida's going to be young there, um, I think Jason Marshall is a, you know, another five-star guy um, that Florida's bringing into the roster. You know, I look where Florida's got, you've got Kyer Elam, you've got Jaden Hill, you've got some of those other guys, you know, the Avery Helms, um, the other guy from Texas that I'm totally blanking on his name, but they have added some of those younger guys. Um, I think that you're going to see those guys continue to develop and those are going to be the ones you can count on. But I think Jason Marshall absolutely will play just being a five-star guy, having that size and the ball skills. I think he's one of those guys that where you look at him and you look at what he's done on the field. He just looks like he's a college ready guy with how he attacks the ball and how he, how he is in man coverage too, which I think is good for Florida. Um, so, you know, another big guy, Corey Collier, I think, is another guy, too, whenever you look at how, sure, tr getting Trey Dean back at that safety position is great, but I think overall Florida's going to be young there again to where, you know, if a guy like Corey Collier who's coming in the spring, he's got, you know, a, kind of a long and rangy guy, he can do different things. Uh, I think he's a guy that you can make a case for if he comes in and gets that spring. Always you get a guy in for spring, you have a higher chance of playing in the fall. I think he's one, too, that you could, you know, kind of keep an eye on as well. Um, Maybe just out of necessity, a defensive line, a guy like Justice Boone, Florida has struggled of adding some of those true strong side defensive types over the last couple of years on the recruiting trail. Adding a guy like Justice Boone, not only getting him in, um, you know, camp and getting him in there to learn the playbook, you know, get in the weight room, get on the field for practice. Those are another guys, you know, defensive line, it's hard to be a guy that plays as a true freshman. Jervon Dexter certainly did that at times for Florida. But, I mean, this was a guy that was 6'6". Um, you know, built like a like a freaking truck coming in right. to, you know, Gainesville. So, I mean, those guys just don't grow on trees, but I think that you have a guy like Justice Boone. I think he's one. Maybe even another guy out of necessity of just playing. I mean, we talk about how Antonio Shelton is that, you know, one big true – Kyrie Campbell type guy you've got Desmond Watson who's in there for the spring he's a guy that overall throughout most of the cycle I mean he was a big guy he has lost a little bit of weight but I mean he still needs to continue to reshape his body 
And I mentioned him just because he's a big guy. You can get him in for spring and cut some weight off. If you can get there and help him tone his body up in the spring, out of necessity, he could be a guy that's there. You have to throw in there just being that big space eater type of guy that Florida really has lacked, you know, true depth at that position. So I don't know that I would say Desmond Watson's maybe a guy that's a slam dunk to play next season. I think first and foremost, you have to get out of that first step of reshaping the body and getting him ready to play, a, you know, a full game in the SEC. Um, but I think he's an interesting guy, at least just with that size. Yeah, and I think a lot of that goes back to what you said, knock on wood. Hopefully we have a normal spring, a normal Sure, those things are going to be big for a lot of those guys for the early enrollees. And I think that you saw those guys that early enrolled out of the 2020 class were affected by that too. And I think we, I mean, I think we will. Look, we played a full season of football at this point. You know, they know the protocols. Uh, thankfully, it doesn't seem like anything has gone horribly wrong in terms of health for any of these players or anything like that. Uh, so I, I think we'll be fine there, Blake. I know the vaccine's starting to get distributed. Shan's got a bunch of it now. Uh, North Florida's starting to get some. So that's that's the good thing. And I, I think you know, going forward, I, I really just harp on development. I think year four is going to be the year that really starts to answer answer the question of whether. Recruiting is going to be a significant impediment for Dan Mullen. And we've talked about, again, it's not a huge amount of guys we're talking about. We're talking about two to three top 100 types each class. That would make the difference between where Florida's recruiting at right now and being closer to catching up with Georgia, with Alabama, and being able to cons- consistently compete with those teams on a regular basis. I think year four is the year we start to see, okay, is Florida, the level they're recruiting at now, is that enough to win championships? And I think – I don't even think that necessarily means that Florida has to win a championship in year four. I think they just have to prove that they can at least hold their ground and not take a step back, not be a three to four loss team next year. That's going to be really interesting because the schedule's tough. Like we said, there's a, there's a lot of pieces to potentially work with, but there's also a lot of potential question marks. And then I, I think you go back to, um, you know, Dan Mullen has really kind of put his foot in the ground and, and stood behind Todd Grantham, whether or not that pays off, we'll see. I, th- I do think that we'll get some, re- you know, reversion to the mean in terms of, you know, Grantham obviously had his worst season this year and, and Florida at times was very good defensively in the first two years, but year four is, you know, it's kind of the evaluation year and we start to get to evaluate really everything that we're seeing. And I think certainly young guys will have a big influence on how we view that unfolding going forward. But Blake, unless you got anything else to add, I think that'll do it for us today. That's it for me. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back uh, hopefully in the next week. Uh, we, we had kind of waited a little bit to shoot this one, thinking the second defensive staff hire might happen soon. Uh, but if we get news on that, we'll come back and, and kind of recap what the new staff looks like, how things are going to be shaping up going forward. Uh, but we'll be back in the next week. Nothing else. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it 
in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.